0: All right, here we go, Luke chapter 16, so we're going to read, and then we're going to get into it. Luke 16, 1 through 9. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? "'Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager.' And the manager said to himself, "'What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses.' So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light, and I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. All right, so a rich man who owns so much that he needed a manager for all his business dealings, uh, someone to take care of his affairs, he hears a rumor that his manager's not doing his job. The charge being laid against the man is he's wasting his possessions. So the, manager, uh, the master calls the manager in, tells him what, is, what he's heard. He tells him to turn in his books. And apparently he believes the charges before he's even seen the books because he fires him right then and there, except he kind of gives them this two weeks notice. He says, you can no longer be my manager. So he tells him, you're done. But then he, you see that he still has control of the books, at least for a bit, so he has time still to prepare for his future, the manager does. So the soon-to-be unemployed manager asks himself, what shall I do? It's the question you and I would ask if we were getting fired. What am I going to do? How am I going to provide for myself and for my family? Where will I live? And Jesus continues his parable by providing a kind of inner dialogue of the man. Remember it's just a story, but Jesus gives this inner dialogue. The man admits to himself, "I'm I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg." So he's lazy and he's prideful. Probably some of the very characteristics that got him into this mess in the first place, but then he gets an idea. Since he still has the management of his master's books, he decides that he'll take advantage of his position one last time. So he he calls those who owe his master money one by one, it says, and he discounts their bill so later they'll receive him. So unlike before, he's starting to think about the future a little bit he's trying to plan for his future so he calls his debtors uh, and to the first man he gives a 50% discount on 100 measures of oil it's believed to be about a year's worth of wages it's a pretty good discount The second one, he gives a 20% discount on 100 measures a week. Again, it's valued at around a year, at least a year. Some believe up to 10 years' worth of wages. Either way, with both of these and likely many more, the manager is giving some great deals, some significant discounts to his master's debtors as a way to win friends and store up favor for his future. And here's the irony of this parable. I mean, you've kind of felt this as we're reading this. The master finds out what the manager has done at his expense, and instead of calling the manager out and clubbing him upside the head, he commends him for his shrewdness. Now, we don't maybe use the word shrewd as often Uh, that the dictionary defines shrewdness as the quality of having or showing good powers of judgment most of the time this word translated in the bible is wisdom so here's a summary A lazy, prideful man gets fired for squandering his master's wealth. In his last days of the job, he gets wise, and he uses his master's wealth to do good for others in order to improve his own position so that when his job is over, he'll have somewhere to go. And when his master finds out about his plan, he congratulates him. He commends him, job well done. This is an odd parable, right? I mean, you read, this is weird. This is one of those I think I've always just kind of read on to the next part, you know. Um, it seems like there's not really a good guy, nor are there any good practices or principles that are readily apparent that you want to say, hey, kids, do this. You know, it doesn't feel like that. Nevertheless, Jesus told this parable to teach something. And it's not until the last two verses that we begin to see what he's trying to teach. Look at them. Verses 8 and 9 in chapter 16. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You see, what Jesus is doing with this parable is he's using a worldly example to teach an eternal truth. He's created a story that his hearers can identify with, that even you and I today can identify with. You and I would be asking the same question, what am I going to do? And this story, this, this real life story that he's putting into place, it's not without sin and selfishness. That's not our world, right? We live in a world where sin and selfishness bend everything we kind of touch. And so He's he's giving us a real life story to teach an eternal truth. But Jesus' aim obviously isn't to teach or commend sin and selfishness. That's where we have to be careful. That we don't try to take away what Jesus never intended us to take away and apply it to our lives. He's obviously not teaching his disciples. That's who he's talking to, Christians. He's not teaching them to be lazy or prideful or to cheat their boss. So what's he trying to teach here? What is this parable about? You remember the charges laid against the man? I heard you're wasting my possessions. Jesus is teaching a lesson about stewardship. He's created a story that all the hearers can identify with to teach an eternal truth about stewardship in the kingdom. That's what this series is called, Kingdom Parables. He's, t- he's teaching about stewardship in the kingdom of God. You see, the Bible says that we are stewards, and God is the owner of everything. We don't always think about everything like this, as God owning all, but listen to just a couple of passages of scriptures that give a pretty comprehensive view of God's owner ownership of everything. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds on the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Colossians 1.16 and 17, one you've heard, by him all things were created, all things were created through him and for him, and all things hold together in him. The Bible is teeming with this truth that everything belongs to God. You don't even belong to you. You were created for God's glory. And the breath you have in your lungs right now, Isaiah 42.5 says, God gave it to you. And if you're in Christ, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you're not your own for you were bought with a price. And everything you own from those beautiful brown eyes in your face to the car in your driveway, it all comes from God. Paul asked the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? Jesus said a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Now you may say, yeah, but I I work hard for what I have. I earned it. Yes, but who gave you the mind to think and the legs to work? Who gave you the strength to get out of bed this morning so that you could be here? Who's going to give you the ability to get out of bed tomorrow morning so you can earn a living and pay for that house? Underline this verse or jot it down. Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is God who gives you the power to take your next breath. It's God who gives you the power to get up. It's God who gives you the power to get wealth. Everything you have, everything I have, it comes from God. And so why does God do all of this? Why does he create and give to us? For his glory. To show his greatness. To make his name known across the earth. In other words, everything God the owner gives you and me, he gives to us, not for us, though we get the enjoyment of it, but so that we would use it, we would steward it for his glory, to make much of him the owner. This is a biblical truth that we have to square our lives up with. You and I are not the owners of anything. We are stewards of everything, everything. And the issue that Jesus is taking aim at in this parable parable is wasteful stewardship. Just before this passage, Luke records Jesus sharing the parable of the prodigal son, the son who wasted all his father's possessions. And so he's still taking aim at that here. He's continuing his lesson, using yet again a worldly situation that all can understand to teach an eternal truth about stewardship that honors God as the owner of of everything, And that's what we're aiming to teach today. That's what this word has for us. It's what I'm hoping you'll walk away believing today. Christians practice faithful stewardship to honor Jesus. And through this parable, we learn three principles of stewardship that we can see, uh, that pr- Christians practice to honor God and his son, Jesus Christ, the owner. And that's what we'll spend the rest of our time looking at, how not to be accused of wastefulness but of faithfulness, faithful stewardship that honors Jesus. So the first principle, Christians steward wisely. You know, there's a kind of thinking out there about Christian stewardship. Some you've probably heard, maybe even kind of said before, that goes something like this and come out a few different ways. I don't need to think about money. I just spend and earn and trust God or work it all out. Right? Um, or why does the church even have to talk about money and budgets and tithing and how we spend our money? It's all God's, so let's just leave it up to God, right? And oddly enough, this argument is made based on the same foundation. Because God owns it all, His overall works all things for our good, and His promise to give us all we need, we can simply not give too much thought to it. We can just kind of let it ride, baby, Right? I don't need to be concerned with money and how to best spend it because God's got me. This is the exact kind of thinking that Jesus is aiming to confront. He he makes a contrast between two different people in this story to make a point. Verse 8, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now who are the sons of this world Jesus is talking about? They're non-Christians. There's people who don't live in the kingdom of God. They are living for the here, and now their kingdom is this world. They don't think about the eternal things of God or the glory of God. They don't see any eternal value to what one does with possessions. Life's just here and now, and you do the best you can and have as much as you can and just think about your future for the next 30 or 50 years because that's all there is. And if you want to be safe and secure, you better make a plan because there's nobody else taking care of you but you. The sons of this world have their minds set on this world and their own ends and their own plans, and that's how they spend their money. But here's what Jesus is saying. They are very good at it. They are very shrewd at it. Now, who are the sons of light? Who are the sons of light Jesus compares them with? They're Christians, people who live in the kingdom of God, those who belong to God, the Father of lights, those who know and believe that all things belong to God and is a means of making much of God. And the point Jesus is making with the contrast is, if the sons of this world have such a concern with how they spend their money, how much greater... Should the sons of light have a concern for how they steward God's money for God's glory? Jesus is teaching that sons of light shouldn't give less because God's got it all, but they should give more thought, greater care, and greater concern to stewardship. They should be the wisest of stewards because they are managing on behalf of Jesus, the owner. And it's important that we see here, Jesus isn't saying, you should be like the sons of this world. No, he, he's not saying to follow their wisdom. He's saying to follow their concern for wisdom in regards to stewardship. After all, we know that for those who are not in Christ, in the, in the end, their wisdom will not get them very far. Their wisdom in the end, apart from Christ, will shown, be shown to be foolishness. You see, the truth is the Bible teaches that true and lasting wisdom Wisdom that is eternal and unchanging always begins with God. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As in, if you want to go to square one of wisdom, if you want to go to the foundation, the very bottom of wisdom, and build something that will stand, it will last, whether it's about work, relationships, money, anything, you must begin with God. Wisdom in any area of life always begins with God. God is not someone we bring along into the discussion about money to get his two cents. No, to do that is to make God a means to our own ends. It's to place ourselves above God. It's to be wise in our own eyes. The bottom floor and foundation of true and lasting wisdom, where we all need to begin today, no matter who you are in this room, it's the first step we go towards today is towards God. When we think about how to honor Jesus with our stewardship, it always begins in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom that's prior to any other discussion about money or stewardship. And if you have not settled this account, that you are a sinner with a debt you can't pay, then no other account matters. No matter how well you play the markets or save or spend or anything else, if you've not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin by accepting his blood paid on behalf of your sin debt, no matter how wise you may have looked in the world to anyone else, in the end, you'll have nothing to give to settle this account. Your, your wisdom will be proven to be straw and it won't buy you anything. But when you place your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin and you're reconciled to God, this doesn't mean you don't care about anything else, that you don't care about money and stuff and stewardship and possessions anymore. On the contrary, Jesus is teaching that because your relationship to, of God, because of your relationship with God, you care more. You know that, take a breath, every breath, every moment, every dollar is an opportunity to make much of the God who forgave you of your debts. Every single moment, every every dollar that comes through your hand, it's an opportunity to make much of the God who reconciled your accounts. Friends, God changed everything in Christ Jesus. So relationship with him changes everything about our stewardship. And so the direction I want you to go today with this first point, I'm not saying go be wiser with your money. I'm saying go be with God with your money. Go to God with your money. Apply wisdom that comes from relationship, being with God. That's the first principle. Christians apply wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom that begins in the fear of the Lord. They steward wisely to honor King Jesus. Second principle. Christians seek gain through generosity. Jesus said, beginning to unpack what this wisdom looks like, verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Another version says it this way. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. Now, it isn't totally clear who they in this passage are. Some scholars believe it's the triune God being referred to, but I agree with many others that it's likely just other people that we do good to. That seems to be the plainest reading of this text. And so consider what's being taught here. The dishonest manager's losing his job. One day, very soon, he would no longer be a steward of his master's money. And think about it. He's already mismanaging his master's money, right? He's already corrupt, he's already doing it wrong, he's already worth being fired, he already was fired. What could he have done here? He could have just mismanaged, continued his mismanage through stealing it. Through simply lining his own pockets and sliding a little bit into his own bank account. Um, That's one way he could have thought about the final days of his stewardship. But instead, what did Jesus have this man do with his stewardship while he still had time, while he still had the management in his hands? What did he do? He used his master's money to be generous to others. And this is what the master commended him for, for using his stewardship to do good to others, to be generous to others, even for his own gain. Jesus is teaching through this example that Christians should not seek their own gain through stewardship by storing up all their money and spending it all on selfish desires. No, as stewards who don't own anything in the first place, who live because we've been given everything, Christians seek their own good and their own gain through generosity to others by blessing others for their good that te- Jesus teaches here and elsewhere is the greater gain again the bible's full of this acts 20:35 you can finish this one for me it is more blessed to give than to receive you know that luke 6:38 give and it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be spilling into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. I like how the writer of Proverbs captured it, at Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely. Think about this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. You see, God does not have a problem with you and I seeking gain. We need to get that out of our head. God has no problem with us seeking gain. God's problem is when we seek gain through selfishness. Through simply caring about me, myself, and my world. And the reason is, this is is so key, the reason is because that's not who our God is. That's not who God is. God gives to us so that we will spend to show who He is. He gives to us not to just enlarge our territory, but His. And God, in whose image you were made, is an overflowing with generosity. It's in His very nature. He gives. God gives life. He gives wealth. He gives children. He gave His only Son so that you might have life. God gave His Spirit. Friends, Think about this. We live, we have life in Christ because God gives. And so we give to be like our Father, to show the grace and love and mercy of our Father. We give to follow the example of our Lord Jesus, who though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you might, by his poverty, might become rich. We become poor in this world, so that others might know the riches that we have. You were poor, broken, with no way out, and Jesus gave his life for you, that you might have everlasting life and treasures that would never wear out, never fade, an inheritance that is incorruptible. One person said it this way, we are most like God when we give. We are most like God when we give. As a people who live because he gave, we give to bless others, to make our Father's grace known to others, and we know that's the greater gain, because every time we give, we take a step closer to God. We draw closer to Him. We gain relationship with God. The second principle of faithful stewardship that honors Jesus as Christians seek gain through giving, through generosity to others. That's kingdom living. The third principle that Christians Christians steward to prepare for eternity. Jesus said in verse 9, and I tell you, make friends by by means of unrighteous wealth, here's the, the last part, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So that when it fails, they'll receive you into something that won't Fail. A couple of weeks before I turned 39 last November, which means you know what's coming, um, I was laying in bed one night, uh, and all of a sudden I started to kind of get this, I don't know, hot flash kind of thing happening. Um, And a feeling of kind of nervous anxiety swept over my entire body, because for the first time in my life, this word hit me in a personal, it's coming faster than you think kind of way. Retirement. One day... I won't be able to run around like crazy anymore. One day, I won't be able to work anymore. I won't be able to earn anymore. And how I do that retirement thing has everything to do with what I'm doing right now, with how I'm stewarding today. And the questions that started rolling through my mind uh, is, am I doing enough? Am I saving enough? Am I, well, my wife is counting on me to think of these things, and I'm, am I failing her? Will we be ready? I mean, it was a moment. Really, the big question I was asking was, have I given the proper care and concern today for planning for tomorrow? It was a sobering moment, to say the least, one that sent me kind of pursuing plans to figure all that out. But the truth is, at best, I'm, prepare- I'm planning for how long? Lord willing, you know, 20 years, I don't know, 30 years, 10, 5, 6 months. I don't know how long I have on this earth. I don't know how long you have on this earth. Neither do you. But you know what? You and I do know how long we have. Right? We know how long we have. I know how long you have, and you know how long I have. You see, the Bible teaches that we are eternal beings. And though our lives on this earth will end, we will go on to live eternally. We will either be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus to live with him forever in heaven on the new earth, or we will be separated from God by our sin to live under eternal, eternal punishment for our sin in hell. We have eternity before us. There's no question about that. That's how long we have. And if we give care and concern to the last 10, 15, 20 years of our lives, how much greater care and concern should we give to that eternity that never ends? The idea I believe Jesus has in mind here in his parable is that one day all this business of worldly wealth, it'll all be gone. It will all fail. One day, see the parallel in the story, you and I won't be stewards anymore. Our job will be done. Our employment will be over. We'll have to turn in our books. And all this wealth that goes in and out of our hands that we're managing, It'll be no more. And Jesus didn't say if it fails. He said when it fails, when it's done. And so what Jesus is saying is that because wealth will one day fail and because your role as a steward will one day be over, he's he's teaching that right now, today, while you can, while you still have your current position, Steward this passing worldly wealth in such a way as to bless others, to do good to others, so that, this is where that eternal perspective comes into play, so that when it fails, it's sure to happen, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I believe Jesus is saying to use what's temporary and passing to invest and prepare for what is eternal and lasting. He's teaching a lesson to steward in light of eternity. And whether they is God that we're blessing or they as other people, the idea is the same. A faithful steward that honors Jesus doesn't simply think about himself. That life has been crucified. Nor does he simply think about today, But as one who lives in the kingdom of God, he lives to prepare to live in that kingdom forever. Doing good to others, using every moment and every dollar to change not just our eternity, but you can change someone else's eternity by exalting Christ as the owner, so that when this life is over and the work of stewardship is no more, we've all had to turn in our books and you stand before God to give an accounting of what you did with all that he gave you, you can say, yes, I spent everything for your glory. I spent it all according to your wishes. I I used all you gave me not to make much of me, not to line my pockets, not to enlarge my kingdom, but to enlarge yours, to do good to others so that they would know you, the owner. Yes, that's how I faithfully stewarded what you gave me, so that we can hear those sweet and welcoming words. You remember the parable of um, the talents, what he said to the one who did well? He said, Well done well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm about to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. <laughs> Would that not be the greatest welcome into eternity you could ever imagine? This lesson of the parables is to help you, to help us. To steward wisely, to bless others with our eyes on eternity, that we might honor King Jesus above all. It's a sobering truth, isn't it? All we have and labor over, it's all one day gone. Our positions as stewards will, will be no more. This is a temp job at best. And one day, we'll all turn in the books of our accounting, and no number will be hidden. Nothing will get left out. So let me ask you something. What kind of steward are you? What are you doing with this next moment, this next breath, this next day, this next paycheck? What are you going to do the rest of this year? You see, that can be kind of a condemning question when we look at how we've done it at times, right? But because Jesus paid our debts, our debt is paid, it is paid in full. We don't have to be condemned where we failed. We can trust that Jesus' blood has paid the price for our sins 100%. The account is settled. But, friends, that's what changes everything about our stewardship. The gospel changes everything. And because Jesus saves us, covers us, and he's promised to keep us and give us an inheritance, we are heirs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Because of that, we can use this temp job, this passing moment, these failing dollars to make much of him, to honor him. And so... Where I hope each of you will turn today is first and foremost, not to Dave Ramsey or a book on finances. Those are great. Those are needed. But turn to Jesus. Life, wisdom. That's the, you know, none of these things that I'm telling you to do. You go try to do these in your own strength, you'll fail. You'll fail miserably. This is new creation living. This is kingdom living. And it's all about relationship with God. None of these principles can be done in your own power. You can't change your heart to live like this. The world will win that every day. The current we live in says otherwise. Only God can do this. So today, what I hope you hear to change how you look at and think about and steward your money, your time, and your life is come to Jesus, the owner. He hears about what you did, and he says, come know the owner, love him, be saved by him, bask in that salvation, and that debt is paid, and then give every inch, every moment, every dollar to stewarding all to honor him. Stewardship in the kingdom, it honors Jesus, the owner, of it all. Let's pray.